0: Hello there. My name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your life. You found the right place here. You're going to find that out even beyond what you expect. I am sharing with you about the very source of reality, the very reason for which you and all things consist and exist, the very source of love that is an ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, the one true eternal God. Now, for those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book which you can read with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. And you will discover a lot of the prints in that flip book is highlighted in red. And those are links to videos that are very profound and amazing from many fields of science and archaeology that expose a mastery of deception that the vast majority of the public is not aware of. And that will surprise and amaze many of you who have not been aware of this and all of these deceptions so check that out and I have also put up a video recently there just a little further down it's the one that's the large one maybe I don't know a third of the way down or so and uh, that will really introduce you to who the one true eternal God could only possible be, possibly be and that is this ultimate perfection of love that is so pure that it always he always chooses or it always chooses, but God always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is as it were a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love. And yet it is, and this is a foundation from when, from which can spring forth creativity that goes on and ever enlarges in pleasures of fellowship without end. And indeed, the very fact that even in science, you have the second law of thermodynamics that clearly points out that everything left on its own goes in a direction of disorder to total chaos, So here we are in a highly organized universe when we should have gone to chaos in the infinite past. No, here we are because there is an ultimate reality that is this ultimate perfection of love, that will not tolerate what is contrary to love, that is the opposite of corruption, that is the destroyer of corruption, that is represented in the negative symbol in nature, the cutting off of all that is corrupt and an indestructible foundation from which can spring forth creation without corruption. Of course, though, when you create beings with free will, there's the potential to make destructive, corrupt choices, to have a hell-contagious state of being, like a black hole in outer space that pulls everything into itself in a destructive way. Your friends and whatnot, are your environment, a hell in your heart makes a hell around you. The potential, when you create beings with the capacity to love, to create them with their own free will or the source of their own action. But the ultimate purpose of the creator is to bring us back into reconciliation with him. And that is why his love is so ultimate in its perfection that in the infinite past, beyond time and space, there was always the capacity in in God to become a perfect substitutionary sacrifice for you so that you could choose to repent and be forgiven and reconcile to God. Yes, God suffered more than you, a mere creature. He humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. And if he only created you, he would have done that for you. And I say that because I've written a book titled The Afterlife, actually no, titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which you can purchase on Amazon and Kindle as well as and print and printed is 368 pages. Check that out. Wow, why am I saying that about that book? Because those that are very genuine people that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal are in my book and you can see them like Dean Braxton on YouTube videos, B-R-A-X-T-O-N, just type in N-D-E, Standing for Near-Death Experiences in Dean Braxton. These people like Dean and Dale Black and Betty Cohen and many others have experienced an intense love from God. Well, I'm not sure about Betty Cohen's testimony, whether that was in there, but certainly Dale Black, Dean Braxton, Randy, I forgot his last name now. But it's not an issue. The fact is, they said the love was so intense that they knew without a doubt that if God had only created them, he would have loved them that much. And so I'm here to share the good news with you today. And I don't mean to have a long introduction. I'm really in a habit of giving kind of long introductions for those that are new. So what I want to do, first of all, is we're going to have a song that we're going to sing that will be related to the theme of what God brought up by the casting of Lot through choosing two potential chapters from the Bible with two independent random applications to get two chapters before God these lots are cast with these applications in great reverence prayer, and time and time again, there's a common theme. And so it is today that there is always a common theme that I discover in these two passages of Scripture taken by Lad. So this song is in alignment with that theme today, and so we will go with a worship song first before we go any further into sharing the Word of God And from these two passages, and I will share more in introduction. So here it is. how to appropriate the resurrection life of Christ, the power that raised Christ from the dead when you are facing situations that look hopeless, that would try to imbue upon your being a depression, an absorption that would suck you of life and replace it with death. You have the resurrection of life of Christ in you. Whoever has received Jesus Christ into their lives from the depths of their being and truly been converted, that resurrection life of Christ is in you. Greater is he that is in the world. No, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. How wonderful it? it is to know the indwelling of the Spirit of God in us. As Paul the Apostle prayed to the early church, his desire was that they would be strengthened with might in their inner being, that the eye of their heart would be open and enlightened to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the exceeding greatness of the hope that we have, and the exceeding greatness of the power of his resurrection towards those that are believing from their inner being in him. And so I want to share with you what I have received today by the casting of Lot before the Lord. And I wanna make it clear that I do not spend any significant time in these messages. I only, after I cast lots to get those two chapters to bear witness with each other, only spend in half an hour. And usually I just paste in the scripture and I don't even have notes. So I don't even know what I'm gonna say. Because you know, the word of God says in First Peter four eleven. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's referring to those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. And I might add here for those that are new, that only a God with love like I have described could be worthy of of ultimate trustworthiness to use unlimited power, authority and life without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, and thus indicative that he is the very source. And the other thing I would say is this. God must be in three persons in order to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, beyond time and space, in creation, in time and space, and filling all creation in omnipresence and beyond. And so we have God the Father beyond time and space and creation, knowing the end from the beginning, the sun fully projected into the creation realm to experience the creation in a li- and communicate with it in a limited creature level, and God the Holy Spirit in omnipresence attached to every particle of existence, able to raise the dead of all the people that ever died, even if their bodies were told totally scattered as ashes around the world. doesn't matter. He'll bring their bodies back to life. This is the one true God. And if you were in personage and you had to rule in those three ultimate aspects of existence, you would have to be in personage to do it because you, can, if you're not an intelligent consciousness over a realm, you obviously can't rule in it. So I am here to share with you though, as I was saying, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. The early church, when they came together, had total freedom to share as the spirit of God moved on them, whether it was a hymn, or it was a prayer, or a word of encouragement, or a prophecy, or a word of knowledge. They moved freely in the gifts of the Spirit. They didn't have to ask the pastor to go to the front and use the mic. God moved through the body, and there was the understanding that he would move, and that those people would be sensitive to the Spirit. So you got a few people that aren't sensitive to the Spirit, and there's a bit of a mess. God takes care of those things, leadership. Don't worry about it. God is calling the church in this hour to repent and to come under the fullness of the headship of Christ and not to limit his headship from inhabiting the body. And one of the things it requires is that there is the facilitation and encouragement for every member of the body to move in the gifts of the Spirit as the Spirit moves upon them. And of course, the other aspect that needs to happen is forget about your pre-service prayer meetings start your church service on your faces in awe of God, in prayer, and seeking his face, and become sensitized to whose presence you're in, and more conscious of him in your presence in these last days. And walk a holy walk, for his house will not only be a house of prayer, but it must must essentially be a house of holiness, a purity, Where we are learning to possess our vessels in sanctification and honor, to guard our every thought, for out of the heart are the issues of life, the word of God says. God is calling us to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. There's another scripture in relation to 1 Peter 4:11 that says, If any man speak as the oracles of God, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, and it's Revelations 19:10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. And that is what I'm going to seek to do here. It is to be worshiping God, to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship, so that I allow the spirit of prophecy to come out of me. And in other words, to speak as the oracles of God, to speak beyond myself, to allow the Spirit of God to speak through me. and that's what testifies to the reality of god in the midst of the assembly that is of yahweh the almighty's the father the son and the holy spirit which is the actual term in the hebrew in the old testament for the lord god lord is yahweh and and god is usually elohim lord god elohim means the almighty's referring to the father the son and the holy spirit So I want to share with you today what I received by the casting of Lot and what God is by his Spirit seeking to say to you as an individual and to the churches, especially in the United States and here in Canada, that is the epicenter of such a great crisis that is spread around the world that I don't need to tell you about because it is multi-pronged, as you know. Okay. I'm going to um, go to those two passages of scripture now that I received right here. Today, I received Genesis 23 and Habakkuk one, but I wanted more insight into what God was really saying. And so I got Ezekiel 37, which highly confirmed the relationship between Genesis 23 and Ezekiel 37 that gave me greater enlightenment on the fact that Habakkuk one was also saying the same thing. But before I get into this message, I didn't share in the last couple of days. And so I wanna point out what I received the day before that I didn't preach on, because maybe God wants me to speak on that as well, even more so. And so I'm going back till Wednesday to share what I received on Wednesday February the 22nd. And I received Genesis 41 and Acts 7. i just going to take some water. And there it says, God has a plan that requires our endurance of faith to complete. And if we endure through, that will bring forth through us his great plan of deliverance and bring forth a conquering bride of Christ. Now, I just did that on the mic, so... It may not be the way I said it on print there. Okay, so we go here to Genesis 41 and it's about Pharaoh and Joseph and Pharaoh having that dream. And as a result of Joseph interpreting that dream, he was made ruler over all of Egypt. And of course, he, as a result of that, When there was severe famine and multitudes, probably millions of people would have died, including possibly Jacob and some of their children. God had sent Joseph ahead of time in his foreknowledge, God the Father. And this is what we see. And then when I cast lots, I got Acts chapter 7 in relation to this account historical account. And what is it about? It's about Joseph. It's far more than coincidence when you cast lots before God. And so we read also in Acts 7, 9 to 6 about Joseph. And this is the account of Stephen preaching before the very religious Pharisees that stoned him as a result. And this is the message he gave. And he spoke about Joseph there. And the patriarchs moved with envy. So Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. God was with Joseph. Yeah, Joseph told some amazing things to his brothers that made them very jealous because his dad gave him a special coat of many colors. It's interesting in the archaeological discoveries of Joseph and his brothers when they came to Egypt and Jacob came, that you see them with all having coats of colors because I guess they told Jacob finally and confessed, yeah, we, we're the ones that are guilty. Obviously they found his father would have found that out. Right. And so then Jacob realized that when he gave Joseph, that coat of many many colors, that was a big factor in them trying to kill him and eventually selling him to Egypt, where he ended up becoming the second in command to Pharaoh over all of Egypt. And so we have those archaeological remains. You can see that if you look up Dave Roll, R H O L, which says he's not a Christian agnostic, but shows all the deception of archaeologists especially Egyptianologists and everything to go with certain dates so that everything will not be chronological and verified with the Bible and he shows how that's all phony and an error and he he just he's got amazing boy what they've discovered they, they got all the tombs of the patriarchs there and everything in Goshen it's all amazing to look at and the, the pictures they drew of His son's wearing these coats of many colors on the walls and all that. And so we have here the statement that God was with Joseph and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Why was God with Joseph? Because Joseph had the genuine fear of God in his life. When he prospered so well and was sold to this person in a high position in the army of Egypt, the gentleman's wife was trying very hard to plead with him to have sex with her. And... um, Joseph said, how could I do that against your master and sin against God? The fear of God is very sensitive to displeasing God or doing anything that would be contrary to being acceptable by God. The fear of God is in alignment with the conscience that innately knows that for there to be good... What is evil must be judged, which points to the ultimate good who God is. The fear of God is not just intellectual, but far more than intellectual. In fact, that's little to do with it. It is a deep turning of the heart in alignment with the conscience to acknowledge who God could only be And that is that he is holy. I talked about the integrity of love, the purity of his love. Well, the integrity of his love will not tolerate sin. It will not tolerate corruption. It will not tolerate that. It is severe on it. And God is calling us to return to acknowledge that his judgment upon sin around us and on our own lives, and he's very severe in our own lives and so we suffer and the world suffers but when we know and our focus isn't on the suffering so that we fall into unbelief and say god if there's a god why would he allow this and this and then we begin to have a distorted perception of god as some enigma as some dictator that must be all powerful and therefore we will seek to please him by bringing our performance before him but really we don't acknowledge and reciprocate the beauty of who god is and his goodness that his love and its integrity to judge evil is good. And so when we see all around us, we acknowledge that God is not the author of death. He's not the author of corruption. He is the, but he must judge it. When you bounce off the ultimate reality who God is, the I am that I am in rebellion, in the slightest that isn't in conformity to his love, there are negative consequences that are destructive. If God didn't judge what is destructive, He would be condoning corruption, and that corruption would thus be in Him, and He would cease to be God, and He would also that would cause the whole universe to destruct. And so, He will not tolerate sin. And so God was with Joseph because Joseph reciprocated rightly with great reverence and love who God was in his severity of judgment, in the acknowledgement that that was necessary for God to be good and to be the ultimate good where there is no corruption and that would ensure his destiny in heaven and the blessing that would eventually be in his life, though he experienced great Can you imagine how Joseph felt when his brothers tried to kill him and then eventually sold him to be a slave, to never be seen again by his dad, by his family? Can you imagine how broken he was, how hurt he was? Here he was the most highly favored by his dad, given a coat of many colors. How broken he was for the pain that his dad would go through which he went through for decades, thinking that his son was devoured by beasts and wondering why God would let such a terrible thing happen in his life, thinking that maybe I shouldn't have let my son be exalted like that in front of my other children, but not recognizing that his children would have been so corrupt themselves and evil that they did this to him. And so when Jacob got the good news that his son Joseph was ruler in Egypt, when he was close to the age of passing on, he revived. It was like a great resurrection experience. Brothers and sisters, it says concerning Joseph here, and I have the verse here, Further down, it says this in Psalms 105, 16 to 22, concerning Joseph. Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He brake the whole staff of bread. That's God. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried until the time that his word came the word of the Lord tried him he received the word which he shared with his brothers and Jacob that he saw him ruling over them they didn't understand it they misunderstood him that he was disconceited and proud They should have perceived that his heart was not like that. They were jealous that their dad favored him so highly. So his word came then. But then that word that he received from God was tried. And he was rejected by his brothers. Put into slavery. Prospered and then rejected because the woman accused him of trying to have sex with him when it was the opposite that was true. So he's thrown into prison with Pharaoh. You know, he's thrown into prison. Then he prospered in prison, interpreted the dreams of the prisoners, and Pharaoh wanted to know this man that could interpret dreams. And when he heard his wisdom, he made him the second ruler over all of Egypt. And so we continue to read here, whose feet they hurt with feathers, fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his... Okay, I read that. Till the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. Hallelujah. That is true in our walk as believers. God will put us through trials. He will try us and test us. The word of God says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord deliver them out of them all. So this even also is an understanding that the trials that God allows in our lives is those that truly love God, that have truly received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. They are allowed to conform us to greater godliness where we have a moral persuasion in who God is That he is ultimately trustworthy because we perceive him right, first of all, that his holiness is good. Instead of a distorted, idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God as some dictator. And then the next thing you know, we're thinking, oh, maybe there's other creatures that are just as powerful as this God. And then you have polytheism that develops out of idolatrous monotheism. But there is idolatrous monotheism. And Cain had that wrong perception. That's why he gave only the sweat of his brow. Mere performance did not recognize his need to cry out to God for mercy. It's not a matter of just saying a prayer. That's not what saved you. It's the deep cry from your heart when you really see your need of God and you believe in him from your heart in who he really is First, in the integrity of his love to require judgment upon all that is contrary to who he is because he is the ultimate of good. He is the very source of good. In fact, his goodness is unsearchable, the word of God says. God is calling his people to return to the genuine fear of God. It's a healthy fear like fearing the law of gravity. Christ says, do not fear those that are able to destroy your body, but fear God, who can destroy both your body and your soul in eternal torment in hell, everlasting torment. And it's worse than any physical suffering in the physical body. That's what the people that have experienced this, that have died and come back, say. I've written about it in my book. Afterlife, incredible, irrefutable on Amazon that you can purchase. God is wanting us to be those that acknowledge that his judgment on corruption is good. It ensures a destiny of pleasures beyond your wildest comprehension that are in a dimension far greater that causes far greater pleasure than you can ever experience. Of anything in this physical dimension by many, 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 many fold that goes on forever, that is never boring, that is ever enlarging, that is allowing your unique creativity to ever expand in fellowship with God and the myriads of His creations, including angels. I want to share with you what I received today which is a continuation of the theme of yesterday. I received Genesis 23 and Habakkuk one, and I wanted more insight on Habakkuk. And I do this sometimes, and God is always faithful every time when I do that, to give me something that's even more clear in relation to the first chapter. And then I go and I begin to recognize what it is in Habakkuk. What God really wanted when I went to Habakkuk one was to read the whole chapter. Because it's just three chapters. And in there you do see the same theme. But what do we have in Genesis 23? It would be related to Habakkuk and Ezekiel 37. God is saying to his church something through this. First of all, the account in Genesis 23 is about Abraham bearing his precious, beautiful wife of 125 years old. And of course, she was an exceptionally beautiful-looking woman. And Abraham used to joke around and play with her. She was a wonderful personality and very attractive and beautiful. Can you imagine the pain it would be to lose someone so wonderful? I mean, you love them every day. You experience such close fellowship with them, and then they're gone. Someone that you were so close to. And yet Abraham had such a close relationship with God. Can you imagine this? That he was willing to actually sacrifice his son to God when God tested him. God had no intent that Abraham would actually kill his son. He tested him. And if you know the account, At the last moment, as Abraham is about to plunge the knife, the angel of the Lord cries out to him and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not harm Isaac. He says, now I know, that's the Lord speaking Yahweh, that thou fearest God above all. The fear of God is part of loving God. It is an essential part of loving God. In fact, you cannot genuinely believe in God, the one true God, unless you first come in alignment with genuine perception, the fear of God. To acknowledge that the God you're believing in is the God that does not tolerate corruption in the slightest. Any God that tolerates corruption would be corrupt themselves and never be able to continue on forever, they would eventually corrupt themselves. And so Abraham was willing to put his son on the altar. You know, there's a lot of people in the in the body of Christ and they are not willing to put their children on the altar. And they allow their children to come into the church And the children love the modern, rocky music and a lot of of things that do not point to pure worship. I'm not against modern music. Even pop music can be, I believe, in the spirit. But I've seen too much music that you can tell when it has certain things in it, hinders worship. Then we have all these songs where people require that you get a license because they want to make money. I think you should stop those songs. If they're trying to make money off those songs, they're defiled. How dare you demand money for your songs that are for worshiping God? It's time that the body of Christ cast out the money changers. that we have songs that are pure unto him that we worship him and that we will not tolerate in his house the money changes because his house is not only a house of prayer it is a house of holiness And God is calling his people to know such a love relationship with him so Abraham loses his wife Sarah here He's wanting to bury her, and we read about this burial of Sarah. It's before the children of Heath, which are the children, and the word Heath means terror, terror. Abraham was fearless because he knew the love of God in his heart. And it says in the word of God that perfect love casts out all fear. He didn't fear death. He knew a relationship with God that caused him to know that he didn't have to fear anything. And even the loss of his wife, as painful as it would be to him, he had the comfort of God's presence. And so you see this account here. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth four hundred shekels. Abraham said he wanted didn't that he you know that he didn't need to pay for it. He was willing. Abraham insisted on paying it for it, but they wanted to give it to him free, the children of Heath here. And so then um, He says this, Ephraim, My lord, hearken unto me, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy debt. Abraham insisted that he pay him, but he wanted him to have it for free. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron. and Abraham weighed to Ephraim the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heath, 400 shekels of silver current with the merchant, and the field of Ephraim, which is Machpelah, which is before Mamre, the field in the cave which is therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were all in all the borders round about were made secure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heath before all that went in at the gate of the city. And after this Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, and the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field in the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for possession of a bearing place by the sons of Heath. Yeah. You grieve when you lose someone that's precious to you. That's normal. Because you knew such an intimacy with them. But you have the assurance you're going to see them again. So how does this relate? This is about the burial of Sarah, which also was the place where Joseph was brought and his bones were brought back to lie with Abraham and the other patriarchs after he died as the second in command over Egypt. He determined that his bones would be brought back there. What is God saying here? We have in both of these chapters bones and burial. The same is the case in Ezekiel 37. That is about the valley of dry bones. But in between, before I got that, I got Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And what is it there that God is saying in Habakkuk that is so important? There are many scriptures in Habakkuk that are um very... Um, and a blessing to read. Let's put it this way. It prophesies of the time when God will bring deliverance to Israel. But first we read in Habakkuk Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. Behold, it, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity? For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. God has a plan. Is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire? Yes, It is of the Lord of hosts that they should discover how vain and hopeless their governments and their institutions are and how vain and hopeless all their efforts are because they're seeking their own desires that are so corrupt and destructive to others in the process. And so the corruption is being manifest more and more in these last days as the institutions of man and the governments of man are becoming so corrupt that people are disillusioned. And why is God allowing that to happen? So that people are cornered by that disillusionment to realize who the one true eternal God could only be and to cry out to him so that the harvest of lost souls becomes ripened for the picking for the multitudes to come into the kingdom of God in this last day. As it says in the word of God, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And that valley is now splitting open with multitudes gathering into the chasm that is being by the tension that is happening between the iron and the clay that is described in the book of Daniel of that image with the feet of iron and clay of which it says they shall... try to mingle themselves with the seed of man, but it will not work. And then a stone is cut out of a mountain without hands that smites the image at the feet and causes it to shatter. And that stone destroys that image, representing the nations of the world that are corrupt. From past history to the present. And that mountain fills the whole earth. And when the Lord returns and he's returning very soon, I wouldn't be surprised if it's anywhere from nine to 30 years. And I have very good reasons for believing that, which I can't go into here for a time. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you know it describes in Isaiah 33 when that presence of God fills the earth which at the same time brings a powerful earthquakes of which it says in Revelations, and I saw the towers of the nations fall. I think it's in chapter 16 or 12, I forgot. 16, I think. It's there. It also describes similar descriptions of the towers falling upon the return of Christ. But when he returns and the Mount of Olives, splits in half, that earthquake, will devastate the whole world. And at the same time, the air fills with the glory of God in such a glory and a brightness and intensity that the wicked that breathe the air become ashes. As they breathe the air, they're burned alive and then find themselves in eternal torment in a dimension that is far worse for experiencing pain than this dimension, a far superior dimension Believe me, the spiritual dimension is way superior to this very inferior physical dimension. You only have to look at my book and read the many accounts that you can find on YouTube of people that have died to know that that is a truth and a fact, including the fact that particle physics reveals it by very integral mathematical language that is used for many other things. They know there's 10 dimensions. They're pretty certain of it. Well, pretty strong clarity of 10 dimensions, possibly 11 something. We read on in Habakkuk here and it says Thou didst march through the land in indignation, thou didst thresh the heathen in anger, thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for the salvation with thine anointed thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation onto the neck thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages they came out as a whirlwind to scatter me their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters but here's the part so the prophet is now speaking about his present situation, where they are under severe judgment from God because of their great sin as a nation at that time. And it says this: so their the economy's gone, everything's gone, people are starving, there's nothing around them. And what does he say? Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. Do you remember Paul and Silas? They were thrown into prison. What did they do? They just praised God and worshipped God, even though they were experiencing pain from the shackles on their bodies. And then the presence of God came down and caused an earthquake, and they were delivered. And the prisoners were converted to Christ, and the jailkeeper was converted to Christ. A true account that happened. We can know that kind of resurrection power in the midst of the great shakings and birth pangs that are coming upon the earth now before the coming of Christ. We can know victory in the face of suffering. And so Paul the Apostle said, that we were so put through so, such severe trials that we despaired of even living, but it was allowed of God that we might not trust in ourselves, but in God that raises the dead, And that is the power that Christ wants you to know today in your life. As Paul the Apostle prayed, he prayed that the believers would know the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe even the power that raised Christ from the dead. And how you appropriate that power is not by rebelling against God in the midst of trials and becoming bitter, but learning to have such a fear of God and a love for God that no matter what your circumstances are, you know that he is creative and greater than those circumstances to take those very circumstances and make something all the more glorious and creative out of it if you had not gone through that trial. And so we read in Ezekiel of the dry bones that represent the children of Israel who were in hopelessness and despair. They were like bones that were scattered and dry. And yet God prophesies that he will bring them back as a nation and he will cause them just as skin and organs coming together and, and the body, they will come together. And there will come an appointed time will he will, when he will visit him with his spirit. And when he does, they will stand up as a great army. And that will be when Yeshua returns. And it says in Zechariah 12, They will look upon me. That's speaking of Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They will look upon me whom they have pierced. And at that time, what I just described about the great earthquake and the wicked being destroyed will take place. And he goes on to say here in Ezekiel, starting in verse 12 of 37, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and ye and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land, then shall ye know that I am. The Lord hath spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord God. And this is speaking of the first resurrection that will take place as the Messiah returns to reign upon the earth. It says, blessed and holy are those that are in the first resurrection, for in such the second death has no power. I have in my book the account of a Jewish lad that died and went to a limited place of paradise where the Jew, Orthodox Jews that are genuine in their hearts go before they've had the Messiah revealed to them. And um, that seems to be the case from the experience of this lad and others. Who knows? God gives everyone the chance to either receive or reject Christ. And some even have the opportunity. Because that verse that says it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Doesn't apply to people that die and come back to life through medical equipment reviving them. They experience a life review. That's not this ultimate judgment. Of course, these people that went to this paradise, this boy that went there experienced serious judgment first, wasn't easy. He saw people in hell as well. You can read my book on it. I'm gonna go on here. I don't wanna be sidetracked. We read in Ezekiel 37, 26 to 28. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them, and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. And indeed, he will be setting up a place of worship there. The Lord's throne will be in Jerusalem and the nations will come to worship him during the millennial reign. And then there will be that ultimate consummate act where God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And the new Jerusalem comes down upon the earth. It is 1,000, no, it's, yeah, 1,000, I think it's 1,400 kilometers. I, I, I forgot, square. Of course, the planet will be way, way bigger. The planet in heaven that people go to right now makes the earth look just like a little teeny, teeny, I don't know, small, very small, way smaller than the moon compared to the size of this planet that people see in heaven, some of them. So, It's wonderful to know that we, what God is saying here, is though we experience loss in this life, like Abraham experienced with Sarah. We endure. And Abraham after that, what happened after Abraham's wife was buried? In the next chapter, Abraham sends out his Servant to find Isaac a wife Right now We are experiencing a hard time in the world But the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming when we are going to be married with Christ And we should be rejoicing living a holy walk walking in the fear of God walking in purity and humility and reverence before God and before one another loving one another fervently with a pure heart because we're not in love with the world. It's the love of the world that makes our heart hard so that we begin to have coldness towards one another and then a denominative mindset where we don't receive one another as Christ received us. But we are to be those that are preparing to be his conquering bride church in these last days. That revival in Kentucky. I'll tell you what's going to happen. If those people continue, I am praying that they will come in to this new order that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting local assemblies. How dare we go back to just having church the way we used to? We should not be limiting the fullness of the headship of Christ in our assembly. There needs to be repentance of loving the world Gods of amusement that people spend hours watching sports. They need to repent of it. The gods of materialism. So many things that if our focus and our priority seem to be over our time in prayer and seeking God. But we are called to redeem the time because the days are evil. He's calling you to a more abundant life. To know such an abundance of life that is subjective regardless of your outward experience. Of trials and tests or whether God can entrust you with blessing and watch out for people that preach prosperity if they are equating godliness with wealth they are leading you astray they need to preach that God has chosen the poor rich and heirs of the kingdom of God because until you know what it is to go through the desert like the patriarchs went through the desert of trials like Joseph went through like Moses went through like all the patriarchs went through like Daniel went through thrown into the being led into captivity and all that not being able to probably have a wife or anything and then being thrown into the fiery furnace all of these trials resulted in miraculous resurrections of God's purpose coming forth so brothers and sisters Get my book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion on Amazon. It gives all kinds of things in there. It's about 250 or 70, 270. I don't know how long. But it's around 270 some odd pages, I think. It gives everything in there you can do for your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. And from you for you as an individual... It does cover topics like tongues in detail to give a greater understanding of that. It covers the seven ones of Ephesians. Many things, everything to do what we can to corporately as assembly be in a love relationship with God. I suggest, for example, it's better to have a service at two in the afternoon where you can have a long service for four hours and really break through into the presence of God as an assembly. And people can prepare. The ones that are older won't find it hard to get to church because it's so early. And people can prepare with prayer, and meditating in the Word before they come to share in the meetings. And so it's good to have a long service, maybe on a Sunday for four hours around starting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. These are some of the things in my book. So God bless you all, and thank you for listening to this message.